Welcome to the Meltzone Podcast. This is episode 45 from April 26th, 2021. Wow, that, that, that year number still feels weird. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And on today's The Meltzone episode, Meltzone Podcast episode, yeah, sorry. Uh, we will be talking about weird printers, starting with... A 3D printing simulation game called Speedcraft 3D. Uh, really weird. Then um, a dynamic 3D printing platform where, which is basically consisting out of little pads that can move upwards uh, in order to save on support material. And a Japanese 3D printing project where, um, yeah, a 3D printer is used to print on its platform a production line for sandwiches, cars, and other weird stuff. Um, really interesting to take a look at. And also uh, just, yeah, some remarks on Thermorph, which is a cool concept where you print PLA and uh, TPU on each other. And when you later put it into water, your flat part um, magically transforms into a 3D printed structure. Nice. And as to less nice topics, the first one we have Creality's community firmware being sold as somebody else's own development. I guess that's what I'm what I'm taking away from the threads here. Is that legally okay? Is that morally okay? We'll take a look at that. And also patents. Again, we it's a recurring topic, but this is the first time that we've actually seen patents being used the way that they're intended. Science Engineering has made sure that the Dragon hotend is taken off the market, which is a hotend that is, let's say, heavily inspired by the uh, Mosquito hotend they're making. So yeah, pros and cons of patent, recurring topic, this time with actual, uh, yeah, with, with something actually happening. And we close out with a question about the state of slices and why they're only supporting STL and not uh, the more perfect formats like STEP and IGES. I-G-E-S? Anyways, um, yeah, IGES, okay. Um, but first, let's start with the weather. Ah, you're, you're in, your, in your loft. I'm in, the, I'm in the basement studio. It is sunny outside. What? And Do you even see that? No, I have no windows in here. And the two windows that I do have, I've, I've boarded over, so. <laughs> Looks like sunshine, but it's uh, actually all just studio lighting. You've got real sunshine though, right? Yeah, I do. So if if the weather goes bad outside, um, yeah, my face lighting won't be that good anymore. Oh, well. For everyone who is watching. Oh, yeah, right. We, we are a podcast. I forgot. I forgot. Yeah, so... Uh, we just we just talked about it. like Stefan's already exhausted. We've, we've already talked about so much stuff like the the battery packs that I'm building, uh, YouTube monetization changes, all that. I don't know if if you guys are interested in, in all that behind the scenes stuff, but yeah, we we always take this opportunity and we just chat about the stuff that's going on. <sighs> yeah, our regular three week, two week, four week uh, chat about things that are. They're going on. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I do enjoy that. Um, my my goal with the podcast, I don't know how, how you're seeing that, but my goal with the podcast was just, again, to have a format that was less formal, less produced, less 
you know effort more you know just hang out talk about stuff um and share it with the world and and that's working and oh yeah we didn't put that in the topics but we passed 10,000 subscribers on youtube yeah we so we don't get a badge uh, for bronze, that, do we? bronze play button for us <laughs> yeah micros- <laughs> do i still have oh i i made i made that microscopic play button once oh yes like, really, uh, <laughs> But you did that for your I did that 100, for 100,000 yeah, yeah. That, that badge took, I don't know, another 80,000 subscribers to arrive. <laughs> so yeah, we, we are, yeah. We're, we're popular, guys. But it's, not just, it's not just YouTube. It's also all of the audio platforms because this podcast, again, is available on YouTube with the video feed, mm-hmm. but also just as an audio version on everywhere. everywhere. We, we, we got asked if we were on, on Spotify the other day, but we are. We are definitely, and I think the share between YouTube views and and downloads, like just the audio version, is pretty similar. The yeah. the stats um, on just like the podcast, the audio part, are really horrible compared, I guess, to what we are used to with YouTube. Yeah, you, you don't get yeah, you don't cool. get information. You get number of downloads, and that's mm. pretty much it. I well we have we have passed 10,000 used yeah 10,000 subscribers here on YouTube. Can you remember how many we basically just dragged into it by <laughs> rebranding your uh your live channel? I think it was like 6,500 or something. Okay. However, many of so those did leave. So I I need to point that out that that the, the many of them just did not stick around because well it's yeah. a totally different concept but it was nice to have like some numbers to start with yeah. even if they're not real i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but again yeah i th- i think we are uh we we can say that this has become a pre- pretty popular format for us um it's still takes more work than i thought in the beginning and this is also i guess one of the reasons why uh this podcast is not as regularly or as regular as it could be yeah because i mean we, we need to find a time where we can just get together for three hours basically yeah but it's yeah. hard from time to time yeah we we did make this um by the way um i i know i just said i don't know how much you guys are interested in the behind the scenes but we are going to try a different video a video transmitting service for for stefan a different video chat service basically um so stefan is hopefully not as blurry anymore in the future but yeah we've we've slimmed down the process of creating these podcasts from uh, we sent back six gigabytes of, of files for every episode, um, and then it's it's getting edited together. Now it's all into OBS. This is basically being recorded as a live stream. We could stream this, but yeah, then we have live chat and all that to worry about. But yeah, it's it's been the, the process of creating an episode has been compressed mm-hmm. quite a bit. No. I just checked the YouTube stats and we started with 3,600 subscribers. Oh, so we... Okay, I, I thought there was more. Okay, so we did gain a significant amount of subscribers uh, through the Melt Zone, with the Melt Zone. Yeah. So thank you all for that. Thank you very much. That's pretty nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we don't really have any anything celebratal, ce- celebrate. What's the right word? We aren't celebrities well, anyway, or what's the... Something um, we do as a celebration. 
Oh, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> this is celebratory something. Something, something. Well, we had a new logo, uh, but that was still just right before we, we passed. I, I still really like it. I'm still kind of confused when I see that on uh, <laughs> on Twitter, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the results. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and the thing with 10,000 on, on YouTube, like you said, it's a podcast we've been over 10,000 like people who have subscribed to the podcast in all its forms for a while and this is just like on one platform now so yeah but yeah let's let's actually make this a podcast and talk about stuff other than meta stuff about the podcast uh let's jump right <laughs> into the topics and this is the one that you put in there that uh is kind of weird <laughs> it's kind of weird you call it a 3d printing simulator I caught that, called that a 3D printing simulator. So, um, exactly, that's, you, that's a problem. It, with <laughs> so every day, I well, we both receive a ton of emails from different sources, being it 3D printer manufacturers, filament manufacturers, or just weird stuff. And this was uh, one that was still 3D printing related, but was in the weird category so i call it 3d printing simulator so i think it was like two months ago S speed no sorry S speed with a 3d as uh speed 3d so, speed 3d craft speed craft um which are i think a manufacturer of uh, metal 3d printers they basically, much, had, yes. they basically had they uh, basically had somebody develop a 3D printing simulator in I think the Unreal Engine, um, which I unfortunately haven't tried it out because in order to download it you need to I don't know is if it if you just need to register with name and email address or if there's even more to it, but you can download download it uh, for free on their website and it looks like to be basically a survival game. You're stranded on an island with just a 3D printer, <laughs> like a metal 3D printer. Yeah, I, and you, I don't know if the environments do anything for the game. To be honest, looking through this, so yeah. you, you can play in like oh, there's even Autodesk Fusion in there. What? Um, you get like three different play environments. One is like in the uh, savanna. One's on a on a ship, and the other one is looks just like darkness in the forest or something. And it it kind of <laughs> reminds me of like Raft, uh, the game Raft or something. Mm -hmm. you, you you pick up your resources, you feed them into a three D printer, um, and then there's like test report print test pass material properties test pass mm. dimension test failed failed testing like mm. what you have to feed the printer materials mm. i don't know if you have to craft like the aluminum bronze supply or it's, <laughs> what um is there like a zombie horde that's approaching i don't i don't know. i don't know i think you maybe just need to get out of where you are fix your ship i don't know build a car to get out of the desert i don't even know where the electricity is uh is is coming from there but yeah unfortunately i haven't tried it out i should try it out but since i have so little time to even play things that i really want to play i don't know if it's if if 
if, if I missed something or if this would have been a waste of time. I, I tried to check it out right now, but I think there isn't any multiplayer mode, oh. mode so. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm playing satisfactory with a, with a buddy right now. And I honestly, I, I think that's a better crafting game than, than this. <laughs> Well, don't you don't know. You I, I don't tried know. It yeah, out. I mean, they're, they're selling it as a or, or marketing as a um, you know training environment where people learn about three D printing. But I don't know how how who, <laughs> how much any people will get out of it. It is interesting. This, it is weird for sure. Satisfactory looks a, a little better, um, but but still, speed crowd no. Speedcraft. Speedcraft is also made in in the I think Unreal Engine. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Unreal Engine is awesome. Uh, just the yeah. stuff you can do. Speed Speed 3D is the company, and Speed 3D Craft is the game, and it is literally S P E E 3D. So it's like Spee 3D Craft. Die schlaue auszudrucken. Uh, <laughs> Germans will get that reference, but yeah, uh, I I I think it's 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 nice that it's uh, that's you know we're seeing experience, we're seeing like just weird stuff happening um, instead of just you know more the same. You know, there are only mm. so much cheap printers we can cover. So many mm. 3D printers. I've, I've just did the video on the Elgo Neptune two, and it's like, well, it's another in the three. That's marginally different than the actual in the three and it's 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 a bit better but it's uh you know that gets boring and it's just a, a breath of fresh air to see mm. this i think i weirdness. have actually seen those guys i think just just as a correction the company is called speed or speed 3d um and the game is called speedcraft or speed 3d craft i think i have seen them the last years at form next and they are showing a metal 3d printer that is different to i think what most know what a metal 3d printer is because i think they're using high velocity so that i think the uh, process is called high speed cold spray um deposition or something like that so you take a material and accelerate those particles as fast as you can and then just slam them slam them on a surface and they'll basically cold weld uh right and this gives you the possibility to work with really interesting materials and it might not be as as complicated as having like an argon environment and an expensive laser and things like that because you basically have a venturi nozzle with a bunch of right. um high pressure gas and then you slam particles on a surface it's, it's basically a, a sandblasting setup just on steroids exactly um but i think you you might be kind of limited by the shapes that you can produce because i don't think that bridges will work that well if you <laughs> try it, to deposit material in free air it looks like it's a five axis process though yeah it is so as in bridging like you just you just mm. print sideways mm. so yeah well they they got covered in in the podcast at least so <laughs> it, it did something definitely yeah, yeah. If, if anyone is bored try out 
B3D craft. So, so, sorry, sorry for that. That was the, the trailer that I just played. Um, it, the audio from that got recorded. <laughs> uh, yeah, it looks like there's... It looks like there's... Hold on. So I'm, I'm seeing Fusion 360, but it's like Fusion 360 screenshots that they've got as a like virtual environment that you can click through. Well, <laughs> of course, if you're stranded on an island, um, don't have any... Well, Fusion 360 is not working if you don't have internet access. Right. Ooh. So I, I guess you got stranded with a, um, with a Starlink dish and uh, you know an emergency power generator and about a, a thousand liters of fuel for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That happens. happens. But why then not just download um, your parts from Thingiverse? Why design them yourself? <laughs> True. Wow. Oh. Okay, I, th I think okay. we've we're done with this. Uh, we've we've but we we do have something that's actually useful today, and that is the um, dynamic build platforms. And this is still this is still weird, but it's weird in a really innovative way. That's mm -hmm. it's pretty logical when you think about it. So yeah, this is an article from Hackaday, um, and I guess dynamic build platforms that saves on support material that it, that you should have an image in your head of what this stuff looks like but basically it is a like a it so it's a build platform that's segmented into in, into individual bits that look like they're like six centimeters uh, wide but six by six centimeter uh, squares and each of those squares can move up so you start your print with everything flat and then as as your tool head moves up and you need a supported material one of those columns comes up and you print support materials just support material just onto that column and you save material which i think is like again it is super logical and it is super mm -hmm. smart to, to implement it that way yeah me too it's uh it's 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 non-intuitive at first, but if you think about it, it's, it's so logical. So instead of printing a big pillar of material, you just at some point raise up that piston and well, print on top of it. It is, if you're doing it the first time, I guess mechanically a bit challenging because you have, if you have a print platform that is, ah, uh, what do, what do they say in the, in the, in the paper? But, it looks like as if you have like 12 by 12 of those actuators. That's 144 linear actuators under your build platform and also linear actuators in a way that you have, I don't know, positional feedback or at least you need to have yeah. a way to position them very precisely. I guess you you could if you if it's like a low pressure uh, pneumatic system you could just uh, bump him against the nozzle, and just use that as a hard stop. You know what I mean? You could do that. Yeah, yeah, and just, then just then, then just have raise it have up. a break that and then just ah. stop it there. But uh, pneumatics always has like a bit of spring load action to that. So as soon as you remove the nozzle, that's gonna pop out a bit further. Yeah, but, but, I, but you if you have for that. but if you but if you have a break. Um, at your pistol. Oh, if you have you a mechanical just, break. Right. Yeah, a mechanical break. Yeah, you could do that. Um, you should have patented that. <laughs> no. So, yeah, if, if, um, who actually made, uh, University of Southern California. Yeah, if you're listening, that's uh, way easier. <laughs> 
but okay so what they um let, let me just cite the, the Hackaday article here. Before the print is made, the bed is prepared by inserting the appropriate length tubes in the correct squares. Then, during the print, a single, mo a single motor pushes a platform up, and based on the height of the pin, that portion of the bed raises appropriately, then stops at the right height. So it sounds like they have not just um, your extension tubes already, I guess, cut to the correct size. Mm. There is a single motor that moves around underneath uh, um, that platform and just pushes it up. Is that where is it? Mm. Is it an individual motor pad? Because it is. It is quite challenging to control. What hundred and twenty? No, hundred and forty-four uh, individual columns. That is quite yeah, a, quite a bit stuff. of effort. But yeah, it's, so by by having those the, the way they're doing it with the pins already at the roughly correct size mm -hmm. uh, or correct length, you're not going to have like super fine granular control over how high they raise. So, mm -hmm. and you can see in the in the picture, um, it's a it's a person with basically a an handstand and the the legs kind of in a V shape or a Y shape, and you can see the supports are at different um, mm. granular levels. So it's not. At discrete steps. Yes, yeah, exactly. Thank you. At discrete yeah. steps, so you still need to build up a bit of support material. You don't get mm. right up to that. Um, so you have just pre-cut rods in the correct length. So it, it's, again, this is, uh, we're already coming up with ways that you could do this differently or better, but this is this is the first time somebody's doing that as far as I know. Mm -hmm. um, and that is already a, a pretty nice achievement there because it does yeah. save on material and on print time. So job done job well done actually yeah no i find that really nice and well if you have flats like flat overhangs it also enables you to print them well directly without any support and you have um not the not so nice looking down facing surfaces that were printed on the supports because well if they are flat you can basically print them directly on the uh like on the pins that go up but i thought simplify 3 has supports that are that come off so nicely <laughs> <laughs> but, only version 5.0 yeah that, that's gonna be so much better um but yeah the thing is if you print directly on those pillars that come up uh you are limited to geometry that directly mm. fits onto those pillars because again yeah. you have discrete heights that you can you can mm. set these to yeah i th so so there is a video linked to that uh, or linked under that hackaday article and that actually looks like as if like the movement of the pins is connected to the movement of the z-axis of the printer and they then just stop at some point uh because uh they're they have a discrete length which makes it even simpler so you don't have individual actuators you just like swap out the pins and all the pins are going up during printing and they just stop at some point right right i thought they they would yeah. so of course you can't have the pins already extended at the start of the print because your nope. tool is going to crash into those um mm. that's like the first thing you have to realize because mm. you know Printer, printer tool heads have some some sort of spatial uh, extension but the yeah the, you could i mean you could leave them in the down position and then when you get to the layer where you need them you extend mm -hmm. them in one go but yeah i guess you can also just move them up and with with them being at a 
how would that work? Because they the other ones keep moving up. They they would need to be like decoupled from whatever. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe we can get in touch with one of the people that that worked on that paper or in that concept. I guess this yep. is super interesting stuff here. It's nice to see. It looks like it's one Hopefully. one continuous motion from the bottom, but how would that work? <laughs> I hope it's not yet patented because <laughs> bought by Stratasys. Uh, because otherwise, yeah, I, I this could be a concept. I I I could realistically see being implemented on a machine where you, for example, do mass production of or not really mass production but if you print a specific part over and over again because you would only need to well swap out the pins once and then you're ready to go and save a ton of material and print time yeah with the with mm -hmm. the concept of using just fixed length rods for sure for sure yeah. um or even you know it, it doesn't this this is one of those cases for um, we have like customization through 3D printing. We have your same base model, like I think Mini does that with like printed inserts for their car, where you can have your, your name on your, on car parts, mm. where the base shape of the part stays the same, but details change, like the um, the labeling or the engraving, the, the printed engraving uh, in a component. So the length of your supports would stay the same, but the actual geometry you print on those would marginally change. Mm. Is there an easier way to implement it? I don't think so. I don't think there's like because you can't have a you can't have a bed mold that comes up again because you're colliding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really fascinating yeah, concept. It's a fascinating concept, and I think also challenging in a way that you still need to position them precisely because otherwise your first layer won't stick. Um, and I think if they basically, I don't mechanically link the z-axis of the printer well it was a delta printer yeah, so, so there's no z-axis the yeah um the, but... the yeah i guess so first layer adhesion as in getting the height perfect i don't think that's that much of a problem you can just you know use a wide extrusion <clears throat> track and that's going to mostly self-load mm. like if you're a millimeter off it should still uh, i guess kind of <laughs> stick if you just lay down a really fat track that that should still work mm. um but i guess it, it needs to be mechanically locked in place like it can't start wobbling mm. around mm. Um, that, that, that could go pretty wrong pretty mm. pretty quickly cool on i guess the topic of weird 3d printers <laughs> Yeah, we, we've got we've got a really weird episode today with with unique stuff. Yeah, weird unique stuff. Um, there was a team of researchers from the oh god, Me I need Meiji? to pronounce that Meiji Meiji University of Tokyo, and they basically printed a machine on a three D printer with removable tool heads and they used the print head of the printer later as a tool changer or a tool pickup system that was then able to assemble a sandwich or uh, what else have they done yeah so the quick quick correction there i guess uh, that the tool head stays on the printer uh, the printer yeah. the the actual hardened stays on the printer they're using a, a, a 
CR realities, uh, some reality looking machine. Um, but they've added a little box compartment next to the toolhead. So the idea is the printer prints its own tools at first and then picks them up with the toolhead. Right? So it's like a little printed end effector or a little hook that they, they've got. They, they first print it onto the platform, then the toolhead mm. moves down and slides into that and picks up that tool. Mm. Um, and then you have, you know, an additional tool on your on your toolhead that you can move around. So they're using that, yeah. Um, basically, they printed a, I don't know if they printed a knife and then cut some bread and... and, and um, they did. Pastrami. Did they? Okay, so they, I, I do remember yeah. that correctly. So basically, they, they printed a jig onto the platform. It stays on the platform. Then you insert your bread and you insert your, your pastrami and your... Um, butter now and uh it, the printer prints its tools to pick up the bread and to cut the bread and to to assemble a sandwich and it then gives you the sandwich in a dedicated printed um exit slot basically so automated assembly automated first of all automated printing of tools for the job of then assembling stuff on the printer's tool plate a tool uh bed prints what's what's it called print bed on the on the print bed yeah and the printer is working envelope basically um so that they have sandwiches which does re require external material input um but they've also done other stuff like i think the rabbit factory where they have different platforms that they print um or bunnies i guess um they, they replicate faster um they've got a, a bunny printing platform that was first printed onto the onto the bed um and then it it prints a bunny onto that. It prints a bunny package and it picks up the bunny, puts it into the package, closes the package and then gives you the finished, um, <laughs> I think it slides off a ramp or something. It gives you the finished packaged bunny. And at that point, your, 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 your printing platform, your printing space that it printed its own stuff onto is now clear again and it, it repeats the cycle. So the only thing you have to feed in is filament. Yeah. Uh, or assembling like little toy cars with uh, with functioning wheels. So it prints the wheels, it prints the car frame in the center, it prints the wheels off to the sides, and then it lifts up a hinge that pushes those wheels into um, the car's frame. And the idea is, I guess, you, you print onto onto a onto a jig that then releases your printed part again. It's fascinating to it's watch. It's totally fascinating, and I would have totally expected that from a Japanese university because oh, it sure. looks like origami. Um, is it practical at the moment? No, of course not. But I think it's just really mesmerizing to take a look at how the, how that works. It looks like one of these um, Ruben Goldberg machines. Ruben Goldberg machines, yeah. Ruben. It's. Uh, I mean, you're saying it's not practical, but. I mean, it might be practical for some stuff, and maybe yes. not not this exact approach with, but no. the, the the idea of just assembling parts on your on your um, on your printer's bed. That, that some stuff, you know, where we need mm. to print, I don't know, a thousand that need some assembly, might yep. be smart to do it with a printer that prints its own jig. Yeah, and the way they basically integrated that that tool mount onto their print head with different methods of picking up the tools is it's just really nice and well done it's so the videos that they're showing they have cuts in between and i'm not 100 positive if 
everything works as straightforward as as they show it and might still need some manual interaction but it's just a really nice uh, yeah proof of concept what you could do and uh maybe someone has a has a nice idea to use that in a more practical manner yeah because I mean, they, they do show like non-practical stuff here as well, like a 3D printed coffee mill, um, just entirely print in place um, grinder for coffee. Like, uh, I don't know that 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 doesn't sound like some coffee I'd, I'd want to have. <laughs> yeah, but just the just the idea that you have a print in place coffee mill and then you put the coffee inside and then the print head is doing this rotational yeah. moment uh, movement to basically move the handle of the of the print mill of the, uh, of the coffee uh, mill yeah of the coffee mill print mill of the coffee <laughs> mill is just really nice it's, it's really nice to take to, to watch uh serial production belt printer removable bad printer or some other mechanisms to get to get your prints off the plate but this is just one level more where you even <laughs> assemble stuff on there yeah um let me just play the uh, the university's name here from google translator um Stefan, you're not going to hear that but meiji university <laughs> meiji university is it meiji uh so google, google translator is something like meiji university <laughs> I guess the university is, but it's, yeah, we, we were close with the Meiji. <sighs> cool concept. Absolutely. I yeah. want to see more. And maybe speaking of, I don't have, um, no, I have the name right here, um, of origami 3D printing. Um, I stumbled over a paper a while ago. I think that wasn't by a Japanese university. Do, do you like literally I, have the printed paper? I have the printed paper. Well, I have I have a page of printed patterns. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, it is. Oh, I don't have the name anymore right here. Um, anyways, I can put that into the show notes. I have it somewhere. So they are doing 3D printed origami in a way that they combine layers of PLA and TPU. And after printing, put those parts into water. The water um, makes the PLA shrink in a specific direction. And the warping that's happening, also using the hinges that the TPU forms, um, creates a, well, your final shape in the end. So you print flat and then, well, right. with those integrated hinges. And also the interesting thing is you choose the printing orientation in a way that the warping happens in the direction you want it to be. And, um, depending on the numbers of layers that you're using, depending on the print speed, because with a higher print speed, you have more internal stresses in the part that will re yeah. release in the warm water. You can also adjust the amount your parts warp, and that is pretty nice. And wow. I have already printed a couple of parts downstairs and wanted to make a video about that for quite a while, but 
never finished it so far. Really nice concept. Um, also just thought like one step ahead. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, that, that reminds me of those um, like self-assembling, not robots, but self-assembling assemblies or the like the memory wire stuff you can you can get and, and pre-bend. Yeah, it's 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 a shape memory polymer. Basically, um, yeah. And, yeah. And your, your shape so memory you have... comes from just the internal stresses that you have during printing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. This... I mean, this is just something I, I keep realizing. We've got we've got three D printing. We've had three D printing for basically ten years now, I guess, uh, available for you know open source DIY stuff. And mm. there's still so much that has not been explored. So many mm. weird, uh, you know, unique concepts that you know ninety five percent of them are not going to be viable in, in the real world. But you know, the other 5%, maybe they're just going to be awesome. They're going to turn out awesome and they're going to enable us to do new things with um, this amazing tools that we have mm. these days. Yeah. Uh, the concept I talked about is called Thermorph. So, like thermomorphing. Thermorph. Yeah, going to put that in the show notes. And they even, <clears throat> they even have a software tool in which you can basically mm, simulate um like the morphing process and depending on your initial shape and final shape it will calculate like the angles and the printing speed you need to use to get to the final shape but right i, I was uh, i think the software is not available okay i was gonna say like yeah that it sounds like a very like like mostly a software problem to solve um yeah. but yeah the getting getting your parts pre-morphed in a way that you know you, you enter your final uh design mm. or your final assembly that you want and, and it spits out uh, a print file that gets you there that's that's gonna be pretty challenging mm. kind of like you yeah, they have yeah go ahead they have demonstrated it with like a rose that folds or um how did they call those okay. parts so, so yeah nothing that's, some... that's like super precise it's nothing that's super precise or super complex, but in the end, um, it's just another idea. Maybe somebody else can pick up and just think one, one step more. Uh, take a look at shape memory, um, metals that are used, for example, for, for stents, uh, where you right. have an initial shape, you deform the part and then you insert it in somebody's body where you have a clocked um a clocked uh a blood vessel and just like the temperature of your body um morphs the part again into its initial sh shape it gets right. bigger again and therefore okay. unblocks that 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 blockage this is one of the, the 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 big applications for i think shape memory polymers uh sorry shape memory uh metals yeah, we we you know when when you typically see those shape memory metals, it's it's like well, it's a you know it's a cool demonstration. You can bend the letter and mm -hmm. it's you heat it up and it's hey, it appears again. But yeah, there is an actual application yeah. with this sort of stuff. Uh, oh God, uh, did you did you see? Um, speaking of of medical interventions, did you see uh, Ren post about his uh, one wheel accident? Yeah. Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, Ren, by the way, corridor crew. Um, you know, 
one wheel rider VFX uh, extraordinaire and uh, yeah he he ate it pretty hard apparently and, and uh, well exploded his collarbone uh, this one the other side uh, his right collarbone yeah. is as far as I remember it's, it's like well uh, I the the physical pain is one thing but just that that sinking feeling of oh shit this mm-hmm. ah this is gonna suck that's the worst because I've I've done that before and it's just mm. mm-hmm. so. I do understand that since I started mountain biking quite a bit more again this year than I used to do it in in the past I and I now have a family I'm also always thinking okay do I still well really take that trail or do I just basically take the good roads down down the hill is it really worth the fun uh breaking your bones afterwards or even worse but i mean mountain biking is still relatively safe and that's coming from someone who has like two major injuries still that uh (laughs) you got on the bike but uh, mountain biking i think is is just so much safer than being out on the road on an actual uh, motorbike like you you mess up on, on a motorbike you're dead or you, yeah. you, you you end up in a wheelchair or something. On a mountain bike, I mean, what I've done, I've, I've snapped a tendon in my shoulder and I've, uh, well, that, that wasn't technical on the bike, but I've rear-ended a car and split my, my upper lip open and this tooth is fake now. But, like, you, you're not going to... It it sucks if you if you mess up on a bike, but you're, you're going to be mostly fine after that. So, I mean, mountain biking still is, is something that I think is is fine. It's fun and it's fine still. So, yeah, you could do, you could um, do much worse. It could do much worse. Um, have you ever tried one of those one wheel like it's well electric skateboards? I uh, by the way before before we say well, Ren, hope you get well soon. You know, our thoughts and prayers are are with you. And not that they're going to do much, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, yeah, fingers crossed, Ren. Anyways, the uh, I have have I ever been on on a one wheel or on a on a boosted board? Uh, no, because they're they're basically legal here, um, and I've not gotten the chance to ride one where they are legal, are not legal where they are legal. So, I think best I've done is is a hoverboard. I've not been very successful in that. <laughs> um, aren't those electric skateboards now legal for a year or two here in germany what i think they're legal now at least to like up to 25 kilometers i think this but don't quote me on that i think this was basically hand in hand with all of those electric scooters but was that what was it langstangen loses something or something yeah you could be right there as as far as i know it's it's only electric scooters Okay, yeah, because you also need to have the lights and yeah. Well, I, I guess that the, the point why why scooters are legal and the, the boards are not is because you have something to hold on to. Um, yeah. Let me two two dudes googling. I know that's uh, <laughs> Lenkstangen lose something something something. So handlebarless vehicle. Elektrokleinstfahrzeuge aussucht das. I think it's not legal now. Uh, it's not legal yet. 
So there were plans to allow those up to 12 kilometers an hour. Okay. You can basically walk faster. Yeah, and they were supposed to be legal basically as a you you, you count as a motorized pedestrian, so you drive on mm. the on the sidewalk and not in the bike lane okay. and not on the road. So, uh yeah, no, I I don't think they're legal. Uh, I have I, tried I have tried out one of those one-wheel skateboards, how are they called? Uni. What do you mean? Just the, the one-wheel. They're called a the one-wheel. Yeah. Self-balancing big, big, one... Big. Sing, sing. Did he actually fall from one of those where you have this single go-kart wheel in the middle yes. and then just... Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the typical one-wheel. Yeah. I tried out one of them when I was, oh, I think, four or five years back in... Up on New York State in one of the skateboard shop. It was really nice. I really enjoy that. I'm I've been snowboarding and wakeboarding for 20 years, so this was really natural feeling. But yeah, they're pretty expensive. Uh, they've have, compared to a booster board, they're not that crazy. And the, the 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 cool thing is because they have such a large tire, they're not that dependent on the on the road you you ride on. Like you can take them yeah. over gravel, you can take them over like bumpy uh, tarmac. That all works. Um, but the thing is, of course, they are self balancing. They they do depend on having <clears throat> spare torque basically to lift the nose up, mm. um, and then to yeah, they they're, they're like they they are regulated like in like an inverse pendulum basically. And what happened with with Ren is basically was going basically top speed, and it ran out of steam. It ran out of torque to balance him, so nose dive thing just oh. you know grinds against the floor, stops you. You just you fly off. You have no chance of of walking <coughs> that off because it was like twenty mm. something miles an hour, I think. So That's they fast. they go at quite a pace. Yeah, mm. I don't know if he still does it, but if he you're was commuting to work on that, basically. Mm. If you're so used to it and if you know that it's usually reliable, you, I guess after a while, you're not really pre prepared anymore for something bad happening. Yeah, you're not, you're not in that heightened state of attention basically anymore. And that, that's mm -hmm. what he said was what got him is, you know, he, he knew the limits of the board. He knew the limits of what he mm -hmm. could do and what he was supposed to do in it. And he ignored them and was like, oh, this is going to be you know just just went about his writing and stopped paying attention and that's that's when it gets you yep so hope he's getting well soon yeah i'm still i'm still i would still be really tempted to get one of those but it's for me it's a, a useless piece of equipment i bought my e-bike this year so i basically bought myself the electric the electric commuting toy yeah <laughs> And in, in in Germany, it's like, well, you can you can drive or ride anything you want as long as it's a car or a bike. We'll <laughs> we'll accept those two, but yeah, buy a car. No. <laughs> oh well. Uh, but let's get back to three D printing topics. And uh, how how do I? I don't have a segue for this. Sorry, Crowley firmware and community firmware and someone branding. Uh, what is supposedly the community's developed firmware for the CR6 or the CR6SE 
has their own firmware, not just selling it off as their own development, but actually monetizing it. So this has been something that's that's been um, discussed on Twitter with Nick Wilson um, over on is this Facebook? Yeah, it looks like Facebook. Um, basically sharing his own uh, Creality Series Sixes e firmware and link to Patreon and going, hey, support me on, on Patreon to get this firmware, and you know, there's a calculator with it uh, that does some e steps and all that, and the. Uh, the, the alleged uh, crime he was committing was that he was taking the community firmware and selling it as his own development. Now, there's basically two layers to this. First of all, well, three, I guess. First of all, is it really the community firmware? Um, I have not verified that. Apparently, the allegation is that it is. Then, is it legal to do that? Is it legal to sell a, an open source software as your own and to, to make money off it? And is it morally okay? So, what's what's your input on that, Stefan? It's I, I not guess... a lawyer. <laughs> I, I you know you know way more about the open source, Creative Commons, whatever. Okay. I think the the basically the only thing that I can say I think it's morally not okay if you take the work of somebody else or even the community and, and and make money out of that and well selling that to other people if you are allowed to do that i am not sure okay so yeah the the more and are you selling it are you selling it if you have this as a patron here Technically, is you this are selling something. Technically, it is a reward for giving. It's mm. a transaction happening, right? Mm. Uh, yeah. There is a there is a, a a price set, and there is a there there are goods that are rewarded for paying that price. So I guess technically, it's a it's a business transaction. But um, yeah, also violating the license. I guess that that was that was the other part because apparently this wasn't exactly uh, released as open source, but just as compiled files. So that's mm, that's shady. But like morally, we've we keep seeing this over and over that um, you know open source projects uh, are put into you know even if they're just put into another product and then that product is being sold. Like I don't know routers. They they all run some some. I don't know if it's Linux, but they all run open source software basically on them. Um, and then you're paying for that software through the price of that device that you're buying. Um, typically, not just buying. Well, who is it? It's not. It's not Squarespace. It's Weebly. One. One of the. No, not. One of the web hosters is basically selling you uh, WordPress, a skin version of WordPress, more or less. Um, but. Yeah, we, we we keep seeing that. And legally, that's okay. Um, so let's assume this is, I don't know, some sort of Marlin firmware. I don't know what it is exactly, but let's just say it's Marlin. Marlin is GPL. Uh, GPL allows you to charge money for uh, for the software, even if it's, you know, it's open source software, but you can, there's no terms in there that it needs to be free free of charge mm. uh all you need to do is you need to provide the source code of whatever you're distributing i don't think you need to to acknowledge whoever it's taken from but i'm not i'm not certain about that um so legally as long as the source code's provided or if it's i don't know some some self-developed firmware that's you know his own work 
that's okay. But as long as the source code provided, he can sell as much as he wants. No, no problems there. Morally, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, and in the end, um, you could always, you could also say that somebody is providing a service in a way that you don't have to be member of a certain forum or need to know how to compile your software, uh, firmware. Um, that way that he basically provides a pre-compiled hex file that you can just with manual and additional e-step calibration stuff, what you can use to, to simply upgrade the firmware on the printer. And you could also say he's, he might be providing that as a service. Because I know that many are not comfortable or even capable of, uh, yeah, in the old days, the Arduino IDE, nowadays the net, how's it called? Um, uh, visual, you compile visual your model. Visual Studio. Uh, they, and it, I got to be totally honest. In the beginning, it was also for me a challenge to download anything in, in, in there to uh, compile my Marlin form code, uh, yeah. my Marlin firmware. So, in the end, this could be an argument. Yeah. Morally, okay, something different, but yeah, why not? Yep. Sorry. So, I mean, it is what it is. It's it's hard times because we've not really, as far at least at least from what I remember, my generation, we've not had these these big discussions of hey, uh, you know, what can you do with free software? Like, what's where's where's the limit? Um, the the early days of software, like it was all hey, you have a floppy, and I've you know I'm going to share that software with you. Um, nowadays, my generation is is grown or has grown up on well, you you have Windows, you have Word, you buy those, and you don't really deal with source code. This is like mm. a lot of people's first contact with um with open source and and everything that's attached to it. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know. I, if, I I don't again, I don't know if this is the community firmware or not, but I legally I don't see that much wrong with it. It's just morally like I I like I keep saying I, I would rather see people contributing to one big project where everyone profits instead of spreading out into like individual mm. bits where like this version has these changes and this one has these mm. improvements. No, if everyone can use that, we're we're all better off. Yeah. But sometimes it's just hard to even find a point where to start with. And it was kind of similar for me when I started using the Duet boards more. The Duet boards are great, RepRep firmware, I really enjoy using it. But it took me quite a while to figure out how everything works for a certain machine. And even though all of that stuff is 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 available for free i could definitely see somebody make a business model out of providing configurations for printers and things like that in an easy accessible way where even somebody who who who, who is not that keen with um with electronics or with 
computers or hardware and just wants to use a printer as a tool for manufacturing jigs or for art projects right. or things like that just to to have somewhere where you can easily go have ch ch checked um yeah firmware versions configuration files um to put on their machines right. my, and my understanding then, is that the that the community firmwares are already mostly doing that like, I'm not sure if, if every release is, like, that thoroughly vetted, but that's, like, hmm. if it's just about I don't want to compile this myself, I'm pretty sure that you can get uh, the community versions as a pre-compiled version as well. Yeah. So, uh, but you need to find them. And for this printer, you need to go in that Facebook group, and the next one is available only on Discord. And I find it kind of hard, maybe because I'm I'm dealing with kind of a lot of different machines but i can totally understand that this is this might be confusing from time to time right yeah and at the end of the day like if there is a customer willing to <laughs> to to buy it like, you're you're succeeding at least as a business you're, you're doing something right so sticking with the topic of uh is this wrong or right and are you succeeding um we now have what basically you know everyone was expecting uh the slice engineering hardens the mosquitoes are patented and uh, there's now been the first case where that patent has been used in the way that the patent is intended and that is to uh well to make sure there is no competition that uses that patented approach in this case it's been the dragon hardened that's been taken off the market by fetus 3d i guess they're called yeah. yeah so yeah so the thing that is patented about the mosquito hot end is the way the heater block is mechanically linked to the heatsink yes but still thermally isolated yeah let and me, let, me, let me grab my mosquito hot ends Plural. Keep talking, keep talking. Yeah, so the thing is, I think I've seen the Dragon Hot End two or three years back, the first time on Form Next, where there were like really like big, big prints of, of, of those Hot Ends, and they basically looked like a straight copy, copy of the uh, slice engineering mosquito just with a differently shaped heatsink and for the last years um slice engineering somehow well didn't do anything against that but it, it just seems that they have now finally stepped in and they're trying to um yeah stop the sale of that hot end and it so I have got messages from people that try to order it from Triangle Labs um, on AliExpress. We can also now see it on 3D Jake that it's that the Dragon Hot End is not available any anymore. And um, yeah, I'm I'm quite interested to see how that's that's going to turn out. Uh, for once, yeah, the Mosquito Hot Ends they are pretty expensive. I think just the hot end with a heater block but without a nozzle without any yep. electronics is so 180 bucks yep the dragon hot end also 
was not cheap, but you could get like a fully working hot end for around 60, 70 bucks. I um, don't know exactly how much those are. Yeah, just, I think something in that ballpark. So I could totally understand why people said, okay, yeah, and s instead of buying like the, the, the genuine part, why not buy this one if it basically performs the same? Yeah. The big elephant in the room is, um, I think Slice Engineering, they are in the right that they are defending their patent, but should they have done it in a, well, community of open source of like open source machines where this, this hotend is used? Um, is this necessary for them to run their business or should they do it like in a similar way as E3D does it that they are kind of fine with, with copies of their part? Right. Okay. So before I weigh in, I need to add, I might be biased on this. Um, I have worked with uh, Slice Engineering uh, and with sponsorships on the channel before, specifically regarding the um, the mosquitoes. And I'm talking, I'm currently talking to them about a uh, an upcoming sponsorship for a 3D printer build um, where their hardened and would fit in. So I, I might, I might be biased here. Just, just want to put that out there. Um, yeah, it's same for me. Uh, okay, okay. So we're we're both biased here. Now we're both both biased. <laughs> so I generally, I don't like patents on on anything on three D printing on 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 well, patents. Are just twenty years is just too long. That's that's my problem with them. Um, yeah. What was I going to say? I see. I see the point of patenting this this exact assembly using the um uh, is is it hypodermic needles basically the this that that's what they're using for the thin stainless or the same stock material for the thin stainless very steel. thin wall stainless steel tubes exactly um that took took a lot of time to get right um I was also involved in in uh, pre testing these before they were even out on the market so again I'm biased but. There's been quite a bit of engineering going into this. Kind of the same with E3D. E3D basically pioneered the entire all-metal um, hardened market. But this, to me, feels more like a like there's been effort put into this and something that's patent-worthy. I've seen patents in the 3D printing world that are just so blatant, blatantly obvious for stuff that is like... <laughs> Again, that's, that's obvious. Hmm. It's just patents for patents' sake. Um, you know, even knowing that they're not going to be defensible if, you know, if it comes, you know, if, if it's actually challenging courts, stuff like this probably is going to be defensible. Um, but it's not to say that this is, the thing is you can work around this, right? You don't have to use, um, the tubing for the mechanical support as well, because this is, uh, one center section of tubing, I guess on this one, you can see it better. One center section of tubing that's uh, guiding the filament, four pieces of tubing on the outside with a separate thermal path, and then two screws, um, that tie it all together. You could easily replace that tubing with screws, basically get the same performance and you've got the, uh, an end of three hardened because those you know have separate mechanical support mm. versus the the center tubing so this isn't like stopping you from making a functionally equivalent hot end um you know you, you have to work around it 
is again it's a patent i don't like patents i'm i don't know i wish they they weren't patented but hey legally they're they're in the clear they've patented something that is unique and as far as i know has not been done before though i have not scraped the report forms and usually when you when you really go in there the concept has been discussed before the stuff has been patented but uh legally i think they are in the clear more or less mm. and let's be honest like did you expect them to not defend their patents like uh, that's why you get a patent in the first place and then when there's someone like fetus with the dragon hardens that literally just copies it we copies that patented approach of course they're going to defend it mm. so yeah, well go ahead. of course yeah you spend you spend money for engineering for development you spend money on the patent itself you need to spend money to renew your patent every year i guess so why have a patent if you don't defend it um i think in the end and this is something that is really hard it's it's a business decision because i find it very hard to survive as a pure open source i'm giving all of my development away for free it's working for some prusa it's still working for e3d but if you are a small company and have a really good idea and this is an idea that can be easily copied it is i think it's hard for you to keep running that business if you basically know that couple of weeks later you get the same part for a quarter of the price from aliexpress why should somebody buy your buy your product um and in that way i find it a feasible decision to patent that solution because otherwise you wouldn't have you might not have spent the the development money in the first place um, that's the usual argument for patents yeah not just in 3d printing but everywhere basically yeah the thing is yeah 20 years is definitely too long um i could totally understand if if something like that would be just yeah purely available for the for the company for two three four five years but in the world we live in today 20 years is way too long um and also maybe 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 on 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 that note yeah it it is kind of contrary to what like the whole 3d printing or at least non-commercial 3d uh, printing industry is is built upon and this the 3d well our all the 3d printers we use nowadays are based on the repro project and everything was free there and information was shared freely and ideas were free were shared freely so i can totally understand if somebody says yeah why now put again patents into the mix that hinders development of the technology for the future and makes it less easily accessible um, I guess to to pick up on the Prusa and uh, E3D are open source and, the, and it's working for them. The I, I see I see two well specifically for, for well for both of them. Um, I, I see a couple of reasons why it works for them and why it doesn't really work for others. Um, 
for E3D and Prusa, they were really early to the game. They were, I, I mean, Prusa was pretty late with commercializing uh, the, the printer building side of things. But E3D, when when they started making the V, God, the V4, um, that was like one of three hot end options that you could buy. Uh, one of three options that was commercially available that you could just buy and put into your printer. Um, they were one of the first ones to, to make that and to make it to a good quality standard um, that even today they have a reputation They you know, people know I'm going to buy E3D, I'm going to get something that is repeatable, that is going to work. Um, so that is still something that E3D is profiting off today because they still make reliable, repeatable hotends. Um, whereas the clones, they take shortcuts and they don't work that well. Um, a lot Sometimes. of the times. Yeah. Um, with Prusa, the same thing. Like they were really early to the game. But also, like Prusa is the, just just from the manufacturing standpoint, uh, the Czech Republic is like halfway between uh, German US wage levels and China. Like they can produce the printers for so much less than, you know, we in Germany or someone in the US could produce the same machine, the very same machine, everything identical. Just by the fact that they're in uh, in the Czech Republic, it, you know, it's already giving them such a big economic advantage, which is why compared to, to other you know, European American printers, they provide more value, you know, made in the US or made in, in Germany printers, made in Czech Republic is just going to give you more bang for the buck. Um, mm. And that is, I think, pretty much the only reason why they can survive against um, like the flood of Chinese printers that we're seeing. Because those are well, those are yeah. getting good. Those are those are really cheap. But just the fact that Prusa can pour more effort into their printers and, and figure out mm. all the details, that's what's allowing them to to survive. Mm. And yeah, when you don't have that advantage of either being in a well, Eastern European well, Czech Republic is like right on the border, right? Um in in a lower wage country where you just save money on on on, on wages and on on well on, on people basically, if you don't have that advantage, and if you don't have the advantage of having built up a reputation, and and you know being a known brand to people, like it's going to be hard to to share everything. Yeah, I see that. Again, mm. I would prefer if people shared everything, but there's there's just mm. a reality that it doesn't work mm. for everyone. Mm. It's it's not good for the community that we're seeing patents. It's not good for three D printing as mm. a whole. Um, yeah, but in some cases, well, companies spend the money on development and develop things we would not have otherwise. If there's the possibility to patent them, or that they at least have the right to use what they have developed for for a while and make money out of it, uh, from it and basically make the money that they spend beforehand during development. Yeah. So in the end I guess we have the option either yeah have everything for free but development might be slower. We've had industries for 5 years now. Yeah. Um yeah so I, I don't know. I, I, I more strongly disagree with stuff being patented when it's when there's not a huge amount of development being put into it. Um, yeah. When it's something that is more obvious. But 
yeah uh so i guess question to, to you guys listening or watching um are you gonna think less of us if we keep working with uh slice engineering and promoting their uh their mosquito hunts on the channel mm. um okay okay specifically um I'm talking to to Slice Engineering about sponsoring a Voron build. All right, I'm going to build a, a Voron 2.4. Um, How dare you? <laughs> well, two, uh, 2.4 is like uh, at least 1.4 more than a no. It's two, 2. 4. 4. Well, you've got the you've got the zero. Oh, it's 2.4 more than zero. zero. <laughs> it's infinity more than mine. Yeah. Um, I thought I needed to get into the game. And they, yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk to Dan Wednesday. Uh, yeah, so let us know if, if that's going to if that's gonna be something that you're... Mm. That's going to make us look yeah. bad. You're promoting this people, product people were, stuff off the market. Yeah, I think many were, for that reason, unhappy because they have the impression, and yeah, of course... The, that's what it boils down to that slice engineering is now taking away the way less expensive but very good dragon hotend because the like the the mosquito hotend and especially the dragon it looks still it it looks still more similar to a v6 just like a evolution of a v6 due to the connection of the heatsink to the to the heater block um so they had the impression and they basically want others to step in because yes slice engineering is is taking that possibility away again or is taking that possibility away because yeah it's more than 200 bucks to get a to get a mosquito hotend in comparison to 50 60 70 bucks for for a dragon hotend um yeah so yeah let us know tough yeah um, it's tough yeah i don't know in in the end it's it's a business decision um and it's i can understand it in one way i can also understand it in the other way i'm really undecided yeah again i would prefer if uh if you have if you have a competitive advantage by just being able to make a better product um say amera you, you just you just figure that thing out to the end you, you you figure out manufacturing you make sure that's you can you can manufacture it at cost um and you have a product that is just better than the competition is that something you're going to be able to to protect in the long run and to to keep economically viable this is the interesting thing and i also already thought about that i think the only way nowadays you can get around still making money out of an open source project or product that you develop is that you put something into the mix that is not that easy to copy. And for the Himera, it's the really nice uh, custom motors. Um, it's or the, the nice stepper motors. It's the die cast cover that they have. Um, for the Prusa Mini, it's basically the heatsink. Um, I guess, which is not a part that you can buy everywhere. Well, for, I think they had a, for like a custom extrusion made for that. Right. Uh, the thing with Prusa printers is like, it's the ecosystem. 
It's the fact that it's, it's also the, the firmware ecosystem, is great, but that the software is great, that uh, the manuals, that all that. You, yeah. You'd have to replicate all of that to get to the same yeah. level of proof. The hardware isn't anything special, well, to be honest. Well, but the thing is, if everything is open source, um, I can sell my 100% copy of a Prusa Mini and also give them Prusa's license as a software and just tell them, okay, use the Prusa Mini preset. And there you have your, your ecosystem. Um, and I, I, I think one of, one of the reasons what at least makes it a little bit harder to copy it is to have more custom parts on, on the machine, um, that are functionally relevant and you can't easily replace them, even though, yeah, you could just put a V6 on, on the, um, on the mini and therefore still have at least for a bit your competitive advantage um for the himera it's it's very interesting because there is there i think there is not a straight copy of the himera available but this a scaled down version with i think a nema 14 but still die cast housing it's called the, i don't know did how you, that, do you how mean that the orbiter i think it's the orbiter is it that's the orbiter? by no, it's not the orbiter uh what's the the, the aluminum extrusion guys uh, um, LDO? Yeah. Yeah, that they make, as far as I know, they make the Orbiter, which is not, I mean, it's it's more like a, a Bontech BMG, basically, which is kind of like the, but you're talking something that's actually integrated with heatsink and all that. Yes. Just okay. give me one second. It is called the BQH2. Okay. Then that's. It looks like way. a just tiny version of a Hemera. Um, where I think. Um, they did a good job because one of the downsides of the Hemera is that it's quite heavy. Uh, and you might ask yourself, is that big stepper motor necessary if you have a gear reduction of one to three or one to whatever? Yeah. Um, and they basically kind of improved on it and uh, made a small version out of it. Also good. So n- not a bland copy, but taking that idea and just taking it one step further. Yeah. I guess at the end of the day, what, is, what it comes down to is, uh, you know, it's not just a hobby project anymore. Um, I think me and a lot of other people, we've started 3D printing so early that we know, you know, you could you could ring up Nophead and he'd send you a set of uh, Metal 90 parts, uh, printed Metal 90 parts because he didn't have a printer to start with yet. That's... That sort of spirit of, hey, I'm just going to design something because I'm interested in it and because I want to share it with the world, uh, that's not something that's going to be viable in the long run. At some mm-hmm. point, especially when when like the industry, because it isn't just a hobby anymore, 3D printing is an industry. Uh, if the industry wants to scale, like you are going to have to bring in companies that are in it for the profit and not in it for just, hey, I'm, I'm interested in it and I want to provide the community with good parts. No, no. And every business is has the core purpose of um, turning a profit somehow. And one of the ways of, of protecting your investment and turning a profit is, yeah, you need to protect your IP with stuff like a patent. So it's, uh, it's, I guess it's it's a side effect of of just where three D printing is right now. A weird in between. Yeah. All right. Shall we leave it right here? 
Yeah, yeah, that would be another oh, huge a- topic that we've got in our, in our schedule. But I think that's going to be something for the next one. Da, da, da. <laughs> da, da, da. Um, Let's do some questions. Shall we just, at, at least for a second, talk about at least one question? Sure. Yeah. So, <clears throat> MG Burberich is asking, basically, uh, why are slicers still not reading like step or IGES files and why are we still held back by triangulated formats? Because Do we have advantage or would we have advantages if we would directly slice from step or IGES files? Uh, yes. Yes, we would have advantages for sure. Um, I mean, one, one of them that comes up is just, uh, well, smooth curves, STL doesn't have smooth curves stl only has triangles Something like step or i just would have uh, the option of you know corners rounded surfaces that are not faceted into uh, individual bits in practice though uh, you know stl is good enough and i think that's why that's why you know none of the like more perfect formats are really being adopted stl just you know it compared to the resolution of of uh you know the nozzle itself the motion system the the imprecision of uh you know squirting down a molten blob of filament if, between all those things if you export a high-res stl you're not going to see any difference mm. to a perfect geometry file like a step file mm. even though that they would be in the of- old yeah in the old days this was still a problem because like slicers five six years ago um if you would load a highly complex smooth bionic part that you want to print slicing would have taken ages uh with computing power i wouldn't even say that it's computing power but with optimized optimized slicing algorithms Slicing is so fast that um, it is way easier in terms of computations in the background to just load a higher res part into your slicer and yeah, use that to generate your decode. And the resolution of the printer is usually not high enough um, that you would see the facets anymore. I think just like, I would say like, yeah, the last couple of years, 3D printers have become so good that sometimes you start seeing again facets on parts where, uh, that were, I think beforehand smoothed out. Uh, so yeah, there <laughs> yeah. is maybe where this comes into play again. Um, I think Fusion 360 now supports g2 and g3 if you slice your parts in fusion 360 oh okay so g2 g3 is uh, for those of you who don't know is the curve in g code where you can run a perfect circle because if you slice from an stl um theoretically your g code moves are just you know linear moves as well so every corner is going to be segmented into little linear moves moving bits as well and if you have if you have a perfect curve in your model and you slice in a program like Fusion 360 that gets the 
full perfect model with smooth curves, it can export those as curves into the G code as well. And the printer then interpolates that into mm. step emotion. Um, which, yeah. I mean, it works for, for circular motion. Yeah, it works for circular moves, but those are, you know, unless it's, uh, you know, you're just printing a block with rounded corners, those are fairly rare, <laughs> especially mm. in organic stuff. Yeah. I think, and I have seen that again and again, uh, where this could become important again. Of course, you can slice your parts with a smaller and, well, you can slice parts with higher and higher resolution as much as you like. I have noticed it again and again that if your part resolution is too high, um, some mainboards are not capable anymore to basically digest the, yeah. the step commands or the g-code commands used to be a much bigger problem when uh usb serial connection was still the standard and you had a laptop next to your computer and that was just continuously mm. feeding g-code uh it still is a problem with octoprint because that's using the exact same approach unless you're writing to sd card which is super slow but anyways um modern slices have a resolution setting that you can set to I don't know, 0.1 of a millimeter if you need to. So that automatically merges segments that are shorter than that. Um, and that basically adaptively decreases the resolution to something that your boards can handle. Um, with boards, with 32-bit boards especially, that make use of a proper SD card interface and not just S, no, not SDIO, um, SPI is the other mode that, that SD card support. Mm. When, they're, when they're using SDIO, like there's, and it's a 32-bit board, there are no real bottlenecks anymore mm. so yeah it's you know with it's again with especially 32-bit boards you don't have to worry about it really mm. so of course of course file size is going to be bigger um just the uh, the geometry files as an stl with exported at high resolution is going to be bigger than um the step that has infinitely mm. good resolution in theory but Again, we have, I don't know, we've got two terabyte SSDs. Uh, is it, is it really? just downloaded the latest update for Microsoft Flight Simulator and it was 50 gigabytes? Yeah. Um, one thing that has also popped up in, in my comments, and I even tried that out um, a bunch of times in the past, is the Octoprint plugin called Arc Welder. Which basically takes yeah. the the G code or the linear G code commands and tries to fit um, arcs in there, um, in order to have less, um, yeah, less basically G code commands that need to be sent yep. to the main board, and you end up with kind of smooth curves in the end. Um, it helps. If your setup is really bad, it can help. But I don't know. You have in the beginning a, uh, well, but you add um, specific errors again because also like converting a faceted part again to a round part yeah. will be in some places good. But uh, you could also like lose details with that. Yeah, you, you definitely so, lose precision. Um in either case, because you, you know, the 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 faceted model is already the the best effort of your CAD program yeah. to export it, and then you're processing that again. Um, Skyforge actually, I think, supported that as well. 
um, at some point. Okay. But yeah, talking about processing time, I still remember like slicing a, a basic uh, frame piece for the for the salesman, and that took twenty five minutes on a dual core laptop. Uh, and then it took like another ten minutes for the three D preview to load, which looked horrible. So yeah, the, the yeah. Just, just just to put that into perspective, like processing times and slicers have gotten so mm. much better. <laughs> I still remember the first. 3D, I had a, a Python 3D toolpath generator for my CNC router that I, that I've built, I think six years, seven years back and just really slicing a very coarse half sphere took me half an hour <laughs> just for really, really simple print moves. So it's, it's crazy how far we have gotten. Um, so in the end, yeah, of course, we would have advantages uh, when using Step and IGES, but just processing triangles um, for slicing is so easy because you, because the math is so easy to, yeah, slice a plane with a triangle yeah. and get a line from that. And then you connect all of those lines. Um, somebody, yeah, who, who just finishes school is basically able to do that if you're going into processing step files and then generating tool paths out of that it gets complicated it gets um, yeah, but, way but, more complicated but but uh what he's saying here as well yeah there are open source uh kernel libraries out there like open cascade he's mentioning i guess those would yeah. do that for you but then again the question is how fast would they be about it yeah, yeah. okay yeah yeah it's it's good enough and everything supports it it's you know it's on, on the one hand yeah it's it's nice to have um everything in 3d printing being kind of good enough and working for the job that it's doing mm. but on the other hand i wish there would be more more experimentation and more momentum to develop mm. and improve things <clears throat> but uh, it is it is how it is one thing and this doesn't really like affect slicing where I, I really see where step files or IGES files would have a great advantage. Today I was looking for an enclosure for this 12864 display for my Duet Prusa. And yeah, I, I wanted to edit the geometry that I found on Thingiverse. But right. basically all of them just had the STL file uploaded. So I had basically the possibility to design it from scratch to mix in Fusion 360 geometry and triangulated files, which is a pain and also yeah. not the, the right software for that. Um, but it does do it. So yeah, if it, yeah. it does do it, yeah. So I, I would see an advantage in the way that how models are shared nowadays. Having everything as a step file would make like just the remixability of projects way more straightforward and way easier yeah um or you know even sharing source files uh, because if, you, if you're doing fusion yeah. 360 source files um or designing in, in that or you know in, in other software too usually you can import those into you know you can you can import export solidworks files into pretty much everything um so that would help because it's, then you don't just get the perfect geometry that you can draw onto and, and pull references from, but 
you directly get the features. So if you have uh, mm. some hole size, you can just go into the feature, make the hole smaller, bigger, put it in a different spot. That's it. That would be that would be perfect. Yeah. So yeah. Am, am I sharing source files? I think I think I should start doing that more. I just started doing more disclosures. I'm I'm, I'm working on being a better YouTuber dude. Um, <laughs> one one step at a time. One step at a time, indeed. But yeah, I I don't think that we will see step or I just slicing in the near future. And if we if we see it, uh, I think the the first implementations of that are just going to be, well, here's the geometry kernel. It first exports it or, or converts it to an STL, and then the slicer works with that through its regular tool path. Most most. We were already almost finished. Uh, most N NC software or a lot of NC software where you do like path planning for milling machines, uh, they use the same approach. They are yeah. not doing the toolpath planning on, at least for the 3D commands, um, on the on the real geometry, but they will convert that geometry into an SDL and do the 3D paths on exactly that STL geometry because it's way easier. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's it, that's just the way that the, that the software works. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I still need to get a better chair for, for these podcast recordings. I'm still sitting on the bar stool, and my back's starting to hurt. Yeah, I think we we've we've nailed this one again. Thanks Maybe. for your time, Tom. Thanks for your time, listeners and viewers. If you have a question, post them down in the comments. Um, make sure that there's a question mark behind that that question because if we have a lot of comments, <laughs> I usually just search for question marks. <laughs> okay. Uh, we okay. should start. Put a hashtag question into your comment. Um, then it's easier for us to find them hey uh, if you want to support us oh, 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 hold sorry. on hold on you know what the the other big 3d printing podcast does um they've got hashtag hot makes i guess they just they just uh, search twitter for that and then they they've got their their index of topics they want to talk about okay yeah so, i guess use i guess tweeted us tweeted yeah. us uh with has should we say hashtag the melt zone or just just tweet at the melt zone i guess tweet at the melt zone if you're not on uh, on twitter uh which i can also totally understand just put a hashtag question into your question and on, on it's way easier for us to find them on youtube on youtube then yeah okay mm. man if so you want to support us head over to patreon uh no you can't become a youtube member here uh become a youtube member on our main channels can and can we enable so, that at 10k subscribers? Uh, it it used to be 100k. Oh, Apple Podcasts started. Oh yeah, subscription services. But yes. Oh, and, and I think Spotify. I don't know. Still need to dig into that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thanks for the outro, <laughs> Stefan. Um, yeah. Thanks all for watching. Thanks, Stefan, for taking the time. And we will see, and you will hear us in the next one. Bye. Bye. <laughs>